If you have your Bibles with you, uh, please open them with me this morning to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. If you are visiting this morning or have been away from us for a couple weeks, we uh, are uh, studying uh, the book of Isaiah briefly. We're in the third Sunday, as you uh, already heard, third Sunday of Advent, this season of celebrating the coming of the Lord Jesus uh, as a baby and anticipating the coming of the Lord Jesus again uh, to make all things right. And we, therefore, as the third Sunday of Advent, we are in a brief series of uh, an Advent series uh, going through what is known as the servant songs of Isaiah. The servant songs of Isaiah. Basically, four pro- prophetic poems about one who is to come, a servant. And remember, uh, those of you who are here, remember that Isaiah speaks uh, to a people who are in exile, a people who have been literally carted away from their homeland and are longing to be returned. And God reminds them through his prophet that he has not forgotten about them, but he will soon restore them. That restoration is coming through someone he's going to send, someone who is going to do big things, bigger than they can imagine. You see, ancient Israel's problem was not simply geography, that they needed to be back in the place that they called home. Ancient Israel's problem was not simply politics. They needed the right ruler in place that they might live in peace. They needed something more. They needed something fuller. They needed complete restoration. And of course, we know from studying two of these songs that they needed Jesus. And not just ancient Israel need needed Jesus, but the entire planet needs Jesus and has for all time needed Jesus. And so as we looked at last week, the Lord said through his prophet, it is too light a thing for me to just save my people. I have come for all nations. And so this month, Isaiah has been putting before us uh, He's been painting before us, we might say, this this beautiful portrait of the servant, the servant Jesus, 700 years before he would even appear on the scene in Bethlehem, Isaiah is painting for us who Jesus is and what he came to do. It's been a great place, I think, for our hearts to sit and to rest, just seeing who our Savior is. And so today in Isaiah 50, Isaiah picks up the brushes once again and begins to paint again the gospel of the servant, the good news of the one whom he has sent. And so I invite you to listen with me and stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Isaiah chapter 50 verses four through 11, Isaiah chapter 50, verses four through 11. Listen as I read. 
The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand, stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. As we set our hearts on this third servant song this morning for the next couple minutes, I think there are at least two responses, two responses that we're called to as a result of this word passed down to us generation upon generation by the Holy Spirit. And the first is this, trust in the obedience of the servant Jesus. It's the first response. Trust in the obedience of the servant, Jesus. Now let me explain what I mean by that because that might sound a little bit odd. I'm not encouraging us, you see, at least not now, I'm not encouraging you to obey Jesus. I'm telling you to trust in his obedience. Y'all remember group projects at school. Of course you do. We all got put in groups for various projects. Our son had a couple of those recently, and they can be tricky things to navigate as he was lamenting because it never seems to go quite as the teacher plans it to go. That is, everybody take 25% of the work equally, right? It never seems to go that way. It seems that what often happens is uh, you get in a group of absolute duds and you end up doing all of the work because they don't care about you and, and they don't care about themselves, frankly. Or you get in a group with an absolute control freak who wants to do the whole darn thing themselves. And often they don't want to do it correctly. They don't want to do it the way you think it should be done. They don't want to hear your input because frankly they don't care about you either. They only care about themselves and their grade. 
As we turn to Isaiah 50, this third servant song, as we gaze into this window of the servant savior, Jesus, what I want you to see this morning, what I want you to be reminded of this morning is of the one who has done all that is needed to be done. One that has done all that is needed for life and for life eternal. I want you to see one who has done this not because he is a control freak, but because he loves the Father and he loves you and he knew that you couldn't do it on your own. This is not a group project. Your salvation is not a group project. This is a salvation that is finished. It's done. Jesus has done it all. And Isaiah reminds us this morning to simply trust in the servant's obedience. Now you may have noticed, as I said that word, that the word obedience isn't explicitly mentioned in this song. It's not explicitly there in Isaiah 50. But what is mentioned four times is this designation of God as the Lord God. You see that? The Lord God. Now if you look closely, this looks different than what we've seen before in our English translations in other places. Remember, the Old Testament was written originally in Hebrew. And we've been accustomed, even in these servant songs, that when we come to a designation of God, we become accustomed to seeing LORD, L-O-R-D, in all caps. And we know that when that appears in all caps, that that's Yahweh. That's the covenantal name of the God of Israel the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what's in your passage this morning? It's not Lord in all caps, it's Lord with just one capital letter and then God in all caps. The designation here in Isaiah 50 is literally Adonai Yahweh, Lord God. And if you have a different translation there, it may be translated sovereign Lord, it's the only servant song that uses this designation for God. And what it's doing, I believe, is increasing the gravity of who is speaking, of who Yahweh is. This is the Lord of lords. He is the one alone who is due all honor and obedience. He is the sovereign Lord. Adonai, Yahweh. And by the rest of the song, we can see that the servant, who's the one who begins speaking in the first several verses, he is the one who has clearly come to do the will of Adonai, Yahweh. And that is what we need to see and marvel at once again. The obedience of the servant, Jesus. That we might trust in it and trust in it 
alone. So there are three aspects of the servant's obedience that I want us to see here in Isaiah chapter 50. His obedience is a learned obedience. His obedience is a voluntary obedience. And his obedience is a confident obedience. Learned, voluntary, and confident. Let's meditate on these three things for just a few minutes. First of all, learned obedience. There's a key phrase that's repeated twice in verse four. It's the phrase, those who are taught. And at its root is the Hebrew word that means to learn. And so this is the servant as disciple. This is the servant as a disciple. You see, Jesus didn't come out of the womb ready to minister, ready to speak words of truth and comfort. No, Jesus had to grow. Jesus had to be given. Jesus had to experience. Jesus had to learn how to speak words that would sustain the weary, as Isaiah speaks so poetically. And so in Luke 2, when his family mistakenly left him in Jerusalem on one of their trips, they return and they find him where? In the temple, in Luke 2.46, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking questions. Which is why Luke states in Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And it didn't stop, the learning didn't stop when Jesus matured, when Jesus grew up. What does it say in our passage? Morning by morning, he awakens. One thinks of Mark chapter one. Jesus rising very early in the morning while it was still dark he departed, went to a desolate place, and prayed. The point of all this is that Jesus learned obedience in part by saturating himself with the word of God and the fellowship of the Father. Now, I don't think there's any doubt that Jesus' fellowship with his Father was unique, that that communication between Father and Son is not the same exact communication between you and I, and yet do you realize that Jesus, in his recorded life, quotes from 24 different Old Testament books? Jesus' love for and seriousness about the Word of God was clear, it was made evident at his temptation when he responded to all of the accusations, to all of the temptations made by the devil with the phrase, it is written. When the religious leaders attacked him, what did he say to them often? You don't know the scriptures. You don't understand what the Father has said. 
You see, Jesus had learned obedience through the voice of the Father in direct fellowship. John 7, 16, Jesus says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. John 8, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. John 12, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. It was only then that the trained ear of Jesus, learning obedience, became a trained tongue, speaking life to sustain the weary, as it says here in Isaiah 50. And as Isaiah prophesied earlier, unto us a child is born who will be a wonderful counselor. We flip through the pages of Jesus' recorded life, the paralytic, the woman suffering from years of uncontrollable bleeding, the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair, they all heard words of life. They all heard words that spoke life to their weary hearts. So the servant's obedience was learned. But not only that, it was voluntary, Isaiah says to us. It was voluntary. As we move into verses five and following, we begin to see the resolve, the the stubbornness in the best kind of way, the stubbornness to walk in the will of the Father despite his own struggling desires at times. In chapter 42, the first servant song we were reminded that the servant will not faint despite those around him becoming faint. In, verses, in chapter 49, we were reminded that though he will be despised, he will arise. And now here in chapter 50, in this third servant song, we get a glimpse of what the servant is going to have to push through of what kind of strength and resolve he is going to need to have. The phrases here are are striking. They're striking because they parallel those of us who know it so well, they parallel Jesus' life. Specifically, they parallel how Jesus was treated leading up to death and they all describe this voluntary, willful obedience on on the on the actions of our Savior. Verse five, I turned not backward. Luke 9, 51, he set his face to Jerusalem. When Luke describes that action of Jesus, it's in the context of, of the end. Jerusalem is death for Jesus, and he knows it, but he sets his face to Jerusalem. Verse six, I gave my back to those who strike my cheeks, to those who pull out the beard. Matthew 27, 26, having scourged Jesus, 
Pilate delivered him to be crucified. Verse six, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, Matthew 27, 30, and they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. At any point, at any point, the servant could have said enough. He could have stopped it all. But this was no accident. This was the appointed time. This was the plan of eternity past. There was no coercion. No one would take his life. He will give it of his own accord. He will obey for the love of sinners like you and I. He will take on our sin and the punishment it deserves. His was a voluntary obedience to be trusted in. One last aspect of the servant, Jesus' obedience, I want us to see, and it's that his obedience was a confident obedience. A confident obedience. The prophet gives us a glimpse in verses seven through nine, look at it there with me, of what, what secured and grounded the servant Jesus on this path that he was chosen to walk the path that he voluntarily walked. And what was it? Well, if I were to sum it up, I would say bottom line, it was his identity. Right, the servant here is so certain. He is so sure of where he stood that the help of the father was his, that the Father was near, that there was no doubt in his mind that he would be vindicated, therefore he did not waver. And so what does he say in verses seven through nine? Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? What's Jesus saying? He's saying, bring it on. Bring it on. I've learned obedience. My obedience is voluntary and it's confident because I know who I am and I know whose I am. Jesus' obedience was one grounded in sonship, in the clarity of his mission, in the eternal love of the Father. You, You and I need this Savior. You and I need this obedience. Every day of every week. Last year, those of you who are here during Advent might remember that we did an Advent series looking at the book of Hebrews and specifically marveling and meditating on Jesus as Jesus fulfills the Old Testament offices of prophet, priest, and king. Do you notice that we see that here in Isaiah 50? 
As the servant learns obedience, as as the servant acquires a trained tongue, he is the final prophet speaking truth and life. As the servant Jesus voluntarily obeys, laying down his life on the altar for our sin, he is the final priest offering a sacrifice once for all, and as the servant Jesus confidently obeys, he is the final king, vindicated in power through his resurrection from the dead, exalted to the right hand of the Father, while his enemies become his footstool. It's all here, weaved together by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus would grace the earth with his presence. We don't need to contribute anything to this project. We've been partnered with someone who does it all. Without resentment, you can take his work without any guilt. In fact, you take his work to get rid of your guilt. This, my friends, is the gospel according to Isaiah. This is the work that you're called to. John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent. This is the good news of Christmas. Believe it and trust it. That's the first response, but there's another that I briefly want to highlight before we close, and it's simply this. Walk in the light the servant brings. Walk in the light that the servant brings. You see, once you've believed in the one who has been sent, once you've come to him to find rest for your souls, then this passage that was a window showing us the Savior suddenly becomes a mirror, showing us ourselves. And Isaiah says as much in Isaiah 50, 10, and 11. Two options are given in those closing verses of this song. Your attitude towards the servant Jesus will determine your fate. Option one, acknowledge that you are in need of light. Trust on the Lord alone, rely on him. Or option two, verse 11, walk by the light of your own fire. (laughs) Depend on yourself. Try to find your own way through life and to the Father. We're here this morning because we know that the latter option is a dead end. Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Then we're called to walk in the light that he brings. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Life abundant, life eternal. And how we live that life is modeled for us in all that we just went through. 
all that we just spoke of about the servant Jesus. First, as daily communion with the Father is how the Lord Jesus started his days as the word from the Father was the lifeblood of Jesus' existence, saturating his heart and overflowing into his life. So it is, so it needs to be with us. The new year is, is right around the corner. I am not big on New Year's resolutions. But I am interested in strivings, as I call them, in new strivings, in intentional commitments to grow in grace, in asking the Holy Spirit to show me the areas in 2020 where I need to grow, where I need to be more conformed to the image of my Savior. Like Paul admonished Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, train yourself for godliness, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. Don't make resolutions, you're gonna screw up. You're gonna be inconsistent. But strive to walk in the light. Pray for the grace and the newness. To regularly be taking in the word of the Father. To be fellowshipping with him. If Jesus needed communion, if Jesus needed communion morning by morning, how much more do we? And that leads us to the other necessity in walking in the light and in this life that the servant models. We need to know who we are. Our identity is secure. We need not fear what man can do to us. We fear God and him alone because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And therefore we view our present circumstances through all of these promises, Romans 5, One, justified by faith, we have peace with God. Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? 1 John 3, beloved, we are God's children now. What we have, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And I could go on and on and on, and I probably should go on and on and saturate us with the promises of God and the identity of who we are in Christ because that's part of the walking. That's part of the imitating saturating yourself with who he says that you are. Isaiah 50, just another example. We've got one more next week of the gospel according to Isaiah. Trust in the obedience of the servant Jesus. Walk in the light that he brings. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this ancient prophetic poem which speaks to us in a way that it didn't speak to its original hearers. It speaks to us clearly of our Savior, Jesus, that baby born in Bethlehem so long ago, 
that baby who grew and learned and obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh, Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, plant this gospel truth and reality deeper in our hearts than it's ever been. That when the things in our life hit the fan, we may remember, we may live our present in light of the promises, walking in the light of who you are and of who you have made us to be. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.